0: good morning again and welcome to uh, Wildwood Christian Church Um, for those of you are new my name is Doug Vernon I'm the senior minister here and we're thankful that you're here and present with us Um, again if you'd let us know that you're here you can do that fill out that paper card and put it in the offering box before you leave Um, you can scan that QR code in the Uversion app and use that one or if you're online you can uh, put your name in the text box there or You can text the word WELCOME to 636-206-8654. And again, somebody won't show up at your house. We just want to be able to connect with you and let you know more about Wildwood Christian Church. So again, thank you for being present today. Um, There have been several people in my life through the years and several circumstances in my life that have shaped me to become the person I am. Most of us understand that. You've experienced that as well. I mean, I think about my parents. Obviously, they've had a big impact on me. My uncles, uh, my wife, uh, she's had the greatest impact on me for very, very good, in spite of how hard-headed I am, uh, for many, many years. Um, I can think of Bob Stacy. I think of Peter Marsh, um, people who've had a profound impact on my life and shaped me. I've also had circumstances in my life that have had an impact on who I've become, right? I mean, I remember uh, being in the baptistry at Glendale Christian Church when I was a kid and being baptized into Christ and the impact of that church family. I remember um, standing before a group of people at that same church saying, you know, I feel like God's called me into ministry, um, I remember the uh, afternoon, it was a Friday afternoon, I was in the chapel at Ozark Christian College and this young lady comes walking in the back and comes up to the stage while we were practicing there, happened to be my future wife at that point, that profoundly changed my life. But it's not just the good in regard to people and the good in regard to circumstances that have shaped my life. I mean, I I can remember... um, A very difficult conversation I had with an individual about 25 years ago. Um, Both that individual and that conversation uh, was very hard, very difficult. Um, I remember as a student minister many years ago, this kid in the youth group uh, was killed in an automobile accident. I mean, that circumstance profoundly impacted my life. Uh, Sometimes it's small things, sometimes it's big things. Um, Sometimes it's people who just show up in our life, and sometimes it's people who've been in our life, and yet God, through all of those circumstances, uses those to shape and mold us to become the people he wants us to become. Now, we could go through this whole room and start with every single one of you, and you could tell me the names of people who've had a profound impact on your life, and maybe a couple of people who've had a very negative impact on your life. You could talk to me about circumstances that you've faced in your life, maybe as a young child or maybe after you left home or maybe in a marriage that fell apart on you. We we all have those kind of people in our life. We all have those circumstances that profoundly impact us. But here's the thing. In all of them, God shapes and molds us into the people that he has in mind for us. I mean, I'm thankful for God doing that in our hearts and our life. He's always working. He's always shaping you and me. But the question that we have to wrestle with today is this. Do I have any influence over what God does in my life? Is it just all God and not me, or is it predominantly me and not much of God? Well, today, as we continue this series called Jeremiah, we're calling this series to uproot or to tear down and rebuild. Um, It's a series in which God is doing a profound work of tearing down and rebuilding in our church and in each one of our individual lives. And there is no doubt that the last two years have had a huge impact on every single one of us. And for some of us, it's forever changed what we will do or how we will live our lives. And it's had a profound impact on our church. And so God's led us to this study, this brief study, um, through the book of Jeremiah. Um, And what's interesting about Jeremiah, so Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was called in the latter part of the rule of the nation of Israel. Actually, it was Judah at that time. And the call of God on Jeremiah's life um, comes from Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10, in which God speaks this. He says, see today, so this is God speaking to Jeremiah, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And Jeremiah's probably a twenty, twenty-two year old young man, and yet that's what God had called him to do. And so here's kind of a chart. We looked at this the first week. This is kind of where he finds himself. He begins his time of being a prophet under a very good time in the nation of Israel. Josiah is king. He's brought some reforms. But what we figure out is that those reforms are kind of skin deep. In other words, people are just showing up at church, but God's, they're not letting God do any changing in their life. And so he begins to preach in the midst of five different kings. And finally at Zedekiah, who is ruling, and that's the time that God comes. He allows Nebuchadnezzar to come or the Chaldeans to come and just destroy and obliterate Jeremiah, or Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is led off into captivity down in Egypt. He's actually kidnapped, and he never gets to see the rebuilding. But we find ourselves in this season, and so God's led us or brought us to this book to help us to understand what he needs from each and every one of us. And so week one, what we looked at was the challenge for us is to stop living a mundane life. Stop settling for less than in what God wants out of you and what God wants out of me. And then week two, we learned that before God can rebuild or replant, what has he got to do? He's got to tear some stuff down in our life. He's got to pull some stuff up out of our life because it's getting in the way. And then last week, we learned that though God calls us to a life of great significance, he does not call us to a life of ease. In other words, it's challenging to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But today we come face to face with the question, how am I going to respond to the shaping of God in my life? Do I have any say in that? And what's God wanting to do in your life and in my life? And so I want to I encourage you to turn to Jeremiah 18 because the key that we're going to look at today is simply this. I challenge you to yield your life to the hand of the potter, all right, um, to God's hand in your life. And so in Jeremiah 18, we come to this passage in which God invites Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. He invites him to go there. Now, God uses very ordinary lessons, object lessons, and circumstances to, to teach us what he wants us to do. Now, we don't typically have potter's houses that we go, but in Jerusalem in that day, in, in Israel, a potter's house was in every small town and community because it was an essential part of it. You needed the potter to be able to make the pottery that you use for your dishes. He was the only one, and so he was a very essential part of that. But it was like us going to the grocery store, us going to the butcher shop, us going to the seamstress. I mean, it was a very common thing in that day. Everybody knew him. And so when God invites Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter's house, it was kind of like, what? You know, it's just, you know, I know this guy, I know where he lives, but that's what God invites him to do. So Jeremiah chapter 18, I want to begin reading in verse 1. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went to the potter's house, went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the clay he was shaping, or the pot he was shaping from the clay, was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. So what would it be like if you were Jeremiah and you were taking a step and going to the potter's house? So Jeremiah walks into the potter's house and his mind begins to imagine as he watches the potter with his lump of clay on his wheel. We don't know how long Jeremiah watched. There had to be a conversation between the two of them. If it was me, I'd ask all kinds of questions like, where do you get your clay? Or how long have you been doing this kind of work? But eventually Jeremiah would ask, so what are you making with that clay? The potter might say, well, a soup bowl, or a pitcher for pouring water, or a pot for cooking, or a cup for drinking. You see, in that day, pottery wasn't for decoration, though it would have been unique and beautiful, but it was useful, it was beneficial, it had a very specific purpose. So each item was unique, just because of how it was made by the potter, but each item was also univ- useful. It, it had a benefit to the potter. it had a specific purpose. But as Jeremiah's is watching, something happens. There is a mar in the clay. We're not told what it is or how or why. Maybe there was a lump in the clay or a small pebble or it was too dry or it got misshapen. So what does the potter do? Well, they formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best him. And it may well be that Jeremiah saw this happening several times with several different lumps of clay through the day, several different pots as the potter labored on through his daily work. Perhaps Jeremiah asked questions each time as to why the potter had changed his mind about some lumps of clay and why the end product turned out differently from what the potter had first said he planned to make. So what did Jeremiah witnessed? a craftsman in complete control of his medium. The potter decides what he plans to do without seeking the clay's permission or opinion. And the end product is likewise whatever the potter finally decides. On the other hand, Jeremiah had witnessed something very interesting in the relationship between potter and clay. While the potter remained in control, It was not entirely a one-sided affair. Sometimes there was something in the clay that caused the potter to change his original intention. True, the potter had the power to do what he chose with the clay. But the clay had the power to cause the potter to adjust his plan. So why does God say, Jeremiah wants you to go to the potter's house? What's, What's the lesson he wants him to get? Look there, beginning in verse 5. He said, then the word of the Lord came to me. In other words, I've witnessed this all day long. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. Say that last sentence with me. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. So what, what's he trying to get across by this very visual example there? Well, there's two really important truths here. Number one, and it is simply this, that God is sovereign. God's sovereign. I know that's a big theological word, sovereign. Everybody say sovereign with me. Sovereign. It's, it, it, the best way to understand it is absolute lordship. When he is sovereign, it means he is absolute. In other words, he has total dominion over absolutely everything. Absolute lordship meaning he's the owner he's not only the creator but he is the owner and he can do anything he wants to with what he owns which is everything absolute lordship he is sovereign he is the potter shaping the clay into any kind of thing that he wants to make out of that what gives god the right to be the absolute lord the sovereign god over everything well one thing that gives him the right is because he is the creator of everything And you can find all kinds of passages about that, but Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. God is the creator. That gives Him the right. But God is also the sustainer of everything. He upholds everything with His right hand. Here's what uh, Paul said in Colossians 1, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Notice this. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and notice that, and in him all things hold together. God sustains everything. Everything is held together. Imagine if he didn't hold together the chair that you are sitting in right now. Or imagine he didn't hold together the vehicle that you drove in now, or the bed that you slept in now. God holds everything together, including you and me. And so even as sovereign, it's not just the individuals, but God has power and absolute lordship over every nation. That's what he goes on to say there, beginning in verse 7. God speaking to... uh, to uh, Jeremiah, he says, "'If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disasters I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted,' And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended for it. Now those words in there sound familiar. Words like uproot and tear down or words like build up and planted because that was the call that God gave to Jeremiah at the very beginning. It's probably now another 20 years down the road. And yet that's what God is still having him do. But he's talking about his power and authority over all the nations. God has all of that power and authority because he's creator and he's sustainer. But not only is God sovereign, that he is the potter shaping the clay, but what we also learn from this trip to the potter's house from, Isaiah, or from Jeremiah is this, that God responds to a response. In other words, God is sovereign, is in control, but he still responds when you and I respond appropriately to him. In fact, he talks about that in a couple of those verses. If you look at chapter 18 and verse 8, he says there, And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I planned. Or verse 10, And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended to do for it. What Jeremiah is learning from this lesson is this, that we have the capacity to avert God's punishment. But what do we have to do? We have to repent. But we also have the capacity to forfeit God's blessed promises by our own disobedience. In other words, what's happening with the potter as he's shaping that, he finds that mar. He finds something in the clay, and he has in mind one thing, but because of that, he begins to shape it. But the point of that is this, that a nation that does not believe in God, like Nineveh and Jonah, if they choose to repent when God says, I'm going to destroy you, that adjusts what God has in mind for them. But even if a nation like Israel, who's God's chosen people, choose to dishonor and disobey God, then that means God's going to reconsider the blessings that he has upon them. But what kind of a response does God want from any of us? Well, look at verse 11. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you. I'm devising a plan against you. In other words, that's my plan. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Jeremiah was preaching to them again and again and again. This is what's coming. God's telling us this is what's coming. But if we change, if we repent, it's almost like God's saying to the people of Israel, just work with me. Just change your plans. I have something so good in mind for you if you will just choose to live the way that I want you to live. And so as we look at the story of the potter's house, the, the real question is, so what? It, What is that saying to us? What's that response supposed to be from you and from me? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to acknowledge the truth that God is sovereign. I think every single one of us in our life, we may not fully understand what that means, but this picture that he's the potter, he's sitting at the wheel, and who are we? We are the clay. God can do whatever he wants to with us as individuals, with us as a nation, with us as a world, because God is absolutely sovereign. In fact, Isaiah had to learn that lesson too. Isaiah 45, verse 9, God says to Isaiah, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? In other words, God, you can't do with me what you want to do. I'm the one that's in complete control of my whole entire life. But God is sovereign, and we've got to acknowledge the fact that our life is in his hands. And yet, God will always do his will, but his will is always good and perfect. It may not be what I want or what I think it should be, but his will is always good and perfect. But confidence comes not in seeing the skilled hands of the potter as he works at the wheel. My confidence comes when I know the potter. When I know his love for me and I know his goodness in this world and the way he works, and that comes only from digging in and getting to know him more and more by studying his word, I can have confidence in the potter like many of you do because you know him. You have a relationship with him. You've seen how he's worked, even in the most difficult of circumstances in your life. And so our response to this story is, number one, we got to acknowledge that God is sovereign, that he is the potter and that we are the clay, but we also need to acknowledge that God God is shaping your life and my life for his goodwill and pleasure. Every single one of us in this room, every single person who's watching, God is shaping in your life. So there's some interesting words that are used here. So Jeremiah first hears from God in the first chapter, verse 5, in which he says in that passage, God speaking to him, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, or before I shaped you in the womb. That word formed or shaped in the Hebrew is a root of the same word for potter. In other words, when Jeremiah walks into the potter's shop, I am certain that in his mind, it that image of God speaking to him at the very beginning, God saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And now he's walking into the shop of the former, of the shaper, of the one who's working on his life. And suddenly he sees this potter working and it gives him the picture of understanding that's God who's been working on my life since even before I was born. And now Jeremiah stands in the house of the shaper of the one who forms us. And God forms you and I as well. I mean, before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. And God was shaping you, and God is shaping me. But he didn't just start there, or he didn't just finish there, but he has continued to work in your life and in my life. We are not just a random accumulation of cells that when we reach a certain age in our life, suddenly we say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life, and I have absolute control over what I do in my life. Now, God is forming us, and God is shaping us. We are the ones that God is working, and we are shaped not just by some random person out there, but uh, by a loving, heavenly Father. So I'm I'm so thankful that God has been working and shaping in my life. Um, To be honest with you, much of that significant shaping in my life has been pretty painful and unfun. Um, I especially think about over the last 10 or 15 years of my life how God has shaped and formed and molded me. You know what? I'm thankful that God never gave up on me, right? And I am thankful that God is fully trustworthy in the things that he's doing because some of the stuff that we've been through, some of the stuff that God has used to shape me has not been very fun. But I know that because God is trustworthy and faithful, in spite of those kind of circumstances, right, and people in our life, I'm thankful that God has shaped me into a masterpiece, not because I feel like I deserve that, but because I know God is the one working. He always has in mind a masterpiece in our life, something useful for Him. But I also know this. I am not the pot, whatever that vessel is. I am not the pot that God had in mind at the very beginning because I've messed that up way too much. In my stupid, foolish, sinful, self-centered choices, the time I can remember, you know, my own pride and ego and arrogance and whatever words that I would use, my own sinful choices, I have completely messed it up. And yet, that doesn't mess God up. God can work even with somebody like me if I'm willing to yield my life to His work and His plan. And He can take the most messed up stuff in our lives, stuff that some of us had no control over, right, that other people maybe have done to us. And yet he can take those kind of things and he can shape us and mold us into something beautiful and usable for him. God can do that in your life. He is sovereign, but he is shaping and molding every moment of every day in our life. Will we yield ourselves to him? And that's really the question that we have to, because the only place and power that we have over this whole process is my willingness to yield to the Master, to allow Him to take those mars and those things that are messed up and allow Him to keep working. That means I have to be willing to surrender and yield to His will and to His plan, to what He teaches in His Word, even if I don't always fully understand that. And so what is it in your life that you feel like God is saying, I need you to yield this to me today? What is it that's getting in your way? What is it that's causing that marring? What is it, God, that I want to yield to, to you? I need to yield to you today. For some of you, it has to do with relationships, right? People that you wrestle with and you struggle with in your life. Maybe for some, it has to do with our own sense of insecurity because of stuff that's happened to us in the past years and it just continues to stir up and cause problem in our life maybe for some it's an addiction or it's a habit that just keeps getting in the way that just keeps causing you know these issues in our life maybe for some it's you know it's our insecurity and fear of the future and what might happen i don't know what it is that you and i you need to yield to god i know what i need to yield to god god is trustworthy because he is the potter he loves us he has something amazing in mind for you and for me to do in his work and in his kingdom will we yield to him yield to the hand of the potter that's the lesson today from this chapter in jeremiah let's pray together lord god i thank you for your amazing love and grace and i I'm thankful for your not ever giving up on me, Lord, Um, for your willingness to continue to work in my heart and in my life, even at times where I have been obstinate and stubborn. And Lord, I know that there are so many in this room that can, can declare that same truth, that you are worthy of trust because you continue to work on our lives. And so today, our My prayer is that this area that just keeps kind of getting in the way, that we would finally yield that to you this day and surrender and say, Lord, help me with this. Father, help me to give this fully and completely to you in this day. And so, Father, we surrender our lives to you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. In your most precious name we pray, amen.